Excellent. Well, great to see you guys at church. I believe this morning, I had a, I feel like I had a word for somebody this morning. It was a good word. Um, do you know, I believe that God uh, is going to do something new in a few people's lives. I just felt in my heart that there are people here this morning that you have struggled with your Christianity. You've struggled with your Christianity to live a life that you think is worthy and honourable to God. You've tripped up, you've messed up. And I just believe this morning that God was saying this, there's going to be a time and it's going to be soon that you will not struggle. I believe God was saying that He's going to pour out His Spirit in a, such a powerful way in your life that you will no longer struggle. It'll be like a flood of the Holy Spirit in your life and you won't have to struggle with the things that you struggle with at the moment. There's going to come a time very, very soon, so get ready, get prepared, that you're going to see and go, you know what? I don't even want to go near that thing. I don't even want to touch that thing. I just felt this morning that the Holy Spirit is going to do a great work in your life and you will not struggle. And this morning's message with Pete, and you receive it by faith. Every morning, you should get up by faith and say, you know what, Lord? This morning, I'm going to be led by the Holy Spirit. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to strengthen me and give me peace and give me joy. And He's going to keep me from going into things that I shouldn't do or say things that I shouldn't do or go to places I shouldn't go. And I just feel like there's a word for somebody this morning that you're not going to struggle anymore. And this is not think, nothing that you have deserved. It's something that God has said He's going to do. So just believe it. Amen. Amen. Well, part three this morning of our foundations or rebuilding series, we did remember Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, get it? Hey, it was a bit of Jake and Paul. Like Paul's going to, Paul, Pastor Paul's not even going to walk out here alive after that joke. Never ever complain about Pastor Louis' jokes ever again. All right? Because at least, you know, and anyway. So, Zerubbabel comes, remember they're in Babylon in captivity and then all of a sudden Zerubbabel, he decides, you know what, let's go back to Jerusalem, 70 years is over, captivity is over, let's go back to Jerusalem, we're going to rebuild the temple. So he comes, remember, he lays down the foundation stone. Who's the foundation stone in our lives? Jesus the Bible calls him the cornerstone. So you have this parallel happening here, right? So you've got the Old Testament and the New Testament mixing up. Here's a picture of this foundation stone laid down. Jesus is your foundation stone. When you came to Christ, you put a foundation stone in your life and it's Jesus. And you're building on that foundation stone. And so we talked about Zerubbabel and we talked about that foundation stone and he alone is who gives you like life, who gives you power, who gives you peace, Jesus. You can't get it from anywhere else. He is the author of life. He is the author of your faith. He is the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is everything. He's everything in your life and you need to treat him that way. When you're going through a hard time, where do you go? Back to your cornerstone. Thank you, Jesus. You are my righteousness. You're my foundation. We did that, right? And then the week after we did Ezra. Was Ezra the man of God, the priest who knows the word of God? He comes along and he starts to teach all these people in Jerusalem that forgot the word of God. He starts teaching them the word, Ezra. He says, man, the temple's laid now. You, know, you need to know how to worship this God. 
You need to know how this God, what this God's about. What does he need? What are the sacrifices that he needs? So he does all these things, right? You and I, Jesus is laid down and all of a sudden, what does the Bible say? Jesus gave us pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists and administrators. Well, I thought there might be some administrators here going, yay! Anyway, he gave us all these people. Why? Just like Ezra, this is the picture, this is the shadow, right? Just like Ezra, they come along in your life and start speaking into your life. And they start telling you about the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? What's the understanding of the Word of God? And you start to build on Jesus. And what happens is, like Ezra, there is a renewing of your mind. The Word of God... Like in Ezra's days, once they heard the word of God, you remember last week I told you they started to weep. They started to weep because they had this reverence for the word of God. What does the word of God say? And they disobeyed it. They weren't obeying the word of God and they began to cry. And I challenged you last week, do you cry when it comes to the word of God? And maybe when you disobey the word, do you have that reverence and fear and trembling for the word of God? You need to. You should have. You shouldn't blage. Don't blage. Oh, it's the grace of God. We spoke about the grace of God never gives you a license to sin. It's the opposite. It's actually the grace of God that allows you to live a godly life. Because the grace of God, Jesus dying on the cross, he removed everything in your life to, that keeps you from living a life uprightly. He removed the law. From your life, because the Bible says when you died, you died to the law, you rose to be another one by the Spirit, right? So He's delivered you from that. His grace has delivered you from that. His grace has given you this power within your life to live a godly life. And so the Word of God is what governs you, it guides you, it gives you understanding, it gives you life. There is power in God's Word. You know what the Bible says about God's Word? It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's able to pierce your brain. I mean, you think about sometimes when you're feeling so bad, all of a sudden you get your word out and you read one chapter, two chapters, and you get up thinking, you know what, I just feel like I've had a meal. I feel like something's happened in my life. I feel like, why? Because the Bible says the word of God's alive, it's active. It's alive, it's active. When you read it, comes into your brain and starts to move in your mind and you start to, whoa, and your mind becomes renewed. Ezra was renewing these guys' minds. We laid down Jesus and then all of a sudden people come along and they start to renew your mind and you work out why it's so important to have a renewed mind because of who we're going to talk about today. And the last guy is Nehemiah. Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah. Do you know Nehemiah's job? He was a cupbearer. For the king, I mean, this guy, he's got the best job in the world. He gets to taste every wine that the king has. Yeah, let that sink into you for a minute, huh? Just let that sink in there. Red wine, white wine. His job, before the king would take his wine, he'd come along and go, let me just check that for you, king. He'd wait a little while to make sure he's not dead because in case they poisoned the wine, right? He would taste the wine before the king because that's what his job was. And then he'd, nice, 1952 Shiraz. 
And the king would just, Ooh, thank you very much. That was his job. But you know what God has? God has people in the right place at the right time always. And even in your life, right, there's always somebody that will come along and, and speak to you at the right time. A word in season. You have it all the time. You know, sometimes you come into this place and you th- thought, thought about things through the week and all of a sudden the pastor, one of the pastors will get up and they go, it's exactly what I was thinking about this week. Why is that? Because God has the right time, right place, right moment for people to speak. And Nehemiah was one of those moments. Zerubbabel was one of these guys. Ezra was one of these guys. Nehemiah was one of these guys. Of all the people that you would want to have any kind of influence was the person who gave the little cup to the king. And then he would whisper in his ear, hey, king. Because the king looked at Nehemiah one day and says, and Nehemiah's never been discouraged. He never looked downcast. But one morning, the king looks at Nehemiah and goes, Nehemiah, I mean, you've just had a glass of wine. You feel, and you don't look very good. What's wrong? And then Nehemiah tells the king. He says, oh, man, my country, it's in ruins. I mean, he does pray and fast before he asks him this, all right, just in case you. My country's in ruins. There's no walls around it. I feel, and the king goes, you know what, Nehemiah? Take whatever you want in the kingdom, supplies, guards, armies, go there and build your wall. Wow. Our God is able to do whatever he wants, anytime, any place, anywhere with anyone. You should know that about the God that you serve. He's not just this God that's random. He never does random. He's always in control and he, and he does the most unbelievable things that I would say to you when these, these guys that were in captive in Babylon, if you'd said to them, look, after 70 years, God's actually going to turn the king's heart around and he's going to send Zerubbabel. He's going to send Ezra and he's going to send Nehemiah. You would have said, mate, I'm in captivity. There's no way this pagan king, pagan God, who doesn't believe in our God, who doesn't believe in anything, they were the ones that actually trampled us and took us out. You saying to me that that king is going to turn his heart around and he's going to send people. They would have said, no way. But you know what our God does? He does that. He always does that. And he always does it in your life. And so here we go. We pick it up. Nehemiah. Well, we love Nehemiah. The king's has the king's ear. Listen to this quote. God led Nehemiah to work on the walls, no less than he led Zerubbabel and Ezra to work on the temple. This is God's calling. If the walls were unfinished, the temple was unfinished too. The work was a single piece. Do you get what he's trying to say? Without the walls, there's nothing here. The temple needs the walls and the walls, the temple, vice versa. They both need each other. Without wars, enemies come along, trample the temple, do whatever. They needed the wars as much as they needed the temple. No city in the ancient Near East was safe from bandits, gangs and wild animals, even though the empire might be at peace. The more economically and culturally developed a city was, the greater the value of things in the city and the greater the need for the war. The temple with its rich decorations would have been particularly at risk. But practically speaking, no war means no city. No city means no temple. The greater the value of things in the city, the greater the need for the war. What's in you? Jesus is in you. 
The Word of God is in you. There's something precious being deposited in your life. The Word of God and Jesus a foundation stone has been deposited in your life. The Holy Spirit has been deposited in your life. What you have in this temple, in this city, is precious. And there's an enemy who would try to destroy the temple, who will destroy your faith, who will try to come. And what happens? He'll come, he'll bring doubt, he'll bring discouragement, he'll bring whatever he can against that city, against this temple, against you. The Bible says you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You've got to get that out of your mind. There's an enemy, the Bible calls him, Satan, the prince of the power of the air, uh, who, who roams around, the Bible says, to see who he can devour. How does he do that? He looks at your life and he, from afar, looks at what defences you have. Have you got a wall up around your city? Have you got a wall of defence around who you are and what you believe in the Word of God? Do you? Or does he see, he says, man, there's a gaping hole in this guy's defence. Mate, I just need to walk through that hole. Thank you very much. Hey, what's going on, boys? Let's have a party. Gang, crash, boom, smash. Walks out. You start to think, man, what have I done? Sin. Oh, shivers. What do I need to do? Let's put a bit of mortar up there and, and, and fix the wall up. If your heart's not in it, that you're not going to build that wall. Because you and I know there are some things in our lives that we kind of, mm, I like that a little bit, you know. Kind of like that sin a little bit. Kind of like a bit of that pleasure. So therefore, the wall is not really built solid. It's almost like, bang. Builders know if you're not building the bricks, the right mortar, that wall's going to fall. So you and I need to build things that are strong. And so we need to have this wall around us like these guys have. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 4, 20, 23, and think about this thought about what's been deposited in your life. My son and daughter, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of it. There's, there's something to be depositing in you. And out of it flows these riches. Out of it flows this life. And you need to watch over it. This is what the Bible says. And this is what the ancient cities knew they had to do. Build these walls and to stop the enemy coming in. To allow, to guard that which is in, being deposited in my heart. That I might be a blessing to somebody. That out of the most inner parts of my being will flow rivers of living water. When you speak to somebody, out of you and me should come rivers of living water. Not judgment, grace, love, kindness, goodness, the gospel message, right? The gospel message is good news. That should be flowing out of our lives. And so, listen to what Paul says regarding the same thing. 2 Timothy 1.14. He's talking to Timothy, saying, Timothy, listen. Guard the good deposit was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Guard it. Second. Corinthians 122, 
He has anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our heart as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He has placed within you something that is absolutely amazing, something that's powerful, something that's eternal, something that will bless others, something that will just, if you build on it and build on it, it will just keep flowing and it keep enlarging. This morning's word that I had this morning, I think what it means is that once you start to realize who is in you, who is in you, Jesus was manifest in the flesh. God in the body of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, who is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, lives in you. Our problem is this. We don't acknowledge Him. We don't give Him authority. We don't let Him lead us. We don't let Him speak to us we don't let him have what he's supposed to have sway in our lives and dominion over us in the way he guides and leads us when you can get that in you that you talking about really like louis you're saying that god is living inside me do you believe god's living inside you if you could believe god is living inside you that will revolutionize who you are as a christian when you start to doubt whether or not things are, are working out, God is in me. God is leading me. If, you, if you're trying to find pleasures in this world, you go, well, hang on a sec, mate. God is living inside me. And his word says, in my right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. He came to give me abundant life and the abundant life lives in me. When you start to think that way, when you start to acknowledge who is in you, oh, it turns your Christianity upside down. Now, long are walking in the weakness of the flesh and try to strain and stress and trying to work out. You're walking in a newness of life. You're walking in the power. You're walking in the anointing. You're walking with the knowledge that, man, this whatever comes against me, better watch out because I'm the son of a king. And he has given me great authority. We just don't acknowledge it. So, watch, guard. We need to guard what's in us. And so, this morning... We're going to do a little bit of building. We're going to build these walls around our lives. And so I've got a little video to show you about what physically these walls were like in the time of uh, the kings of Israel and the times of maybe not exactly the times of Nehemiah, but this is exactly what they would have looked like. During David's rule, the city of Jerusalem was occupied only on the eastern hill. During Solomon's rule, the city grew larger and the temple was built on the Temple Mount. But during Hezekiah's rule, the city of Jerusalem underwent major changes. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and was determined to wage war against Jerusalem, he strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was broken and raised it up to the towers and another wall without. In 721 BCE, the mighty Assyrian kingdom defeated the kingdom of Israel. Thousands of refugees fled to Jerusalem and settled on the Western Hill. 
Hezekiah, the king of Judah, also rebelled against the Assyrians. And in order to protect the Western Hill and its new inhabitants, he built a massive wall seven meters wide. The wall on which I am walking right now is the wide wall built by Hezekiah. It was later to be discovered by Professor Nachman Avigad from the Hebrew University. This would settle a long debate regarding the size of Jerusalem, which was apparently much larger than the narrow dimensions of the city of David. Hezekiah, the king of Judah, must have heard the thunder of the approaching war horses of the Assyrian army as they came to conquer Jerusalem. He was anxious to build the wall in the fastest way possible. Alas, the refugees from the kingdom of Israel had built their houses in the very places most suitable for the wall, and he had no choice but to destroy their homes. This is one of the houses destroyed by Hezekiah, the king of Judah, while building the wide wall. Isaiah the prophet regarded this deed in a negative light. He says, and you have numbered the houses of Jerusalem, and you have broken them down to fortify the wall. Interesting, huh? See, they were even taking people's houses even back then. You've got Badgeries Creek, the airport. Everyone's like it. They've been doing it for a long time. So these, these, you had to, that's how important the war was. Um, and uh, listen to one of the kings, King Asa was, uh, he's a good king. Because when you, when you read your Bible, every king, especially a good king, would always look at the war and make sure the wars were right. And not only did he do that, King Asa, he says um, uh, he went into all the, all the cities in Israel and Judah. And what he did was he went into the city and they had these high places in some of these cities, like foreign gods, foreign places to worship. And so what Asa did was he went into these cities, he grabbed all the high places, the idols or whatever, and he broke them and cast them out and threw them out into oblivion. And then what he did was, after he did that, he removed these things, he started to build the wall. Listen to what it says, 2 Chronicles 14.7. Let us build up these towns. I'll let Steph catch up. 2 Chronicles 14.7. I'll say it and then, um, let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. There it is. So Asa, there's a time of peace, right? There's no enemy coming. So what does he decide to do? He needs to go there, clean out all the towns, all the cities of all these foreign gods and start building walls around it. You and I are living in a time of peace. And I think today what we should do is the same thing. Have a look at our lives and go, you know what, Lord? There is an idol in there. There is a foreign god in there. There is something that I spend more time doing, more time enjoying than the presence and the power of God. It's in my life and I sense it. We need to take it. We need to confess it. 
We need to repent of it. We need to throw it outside of our lives, outside of this temple. And then we need to build around it, not to allow that thing to come back into our lives. That's what he did. And we should do that. We should continually be doing that. The Bible says, check your heart, check your life, check see the things in your heart and make sure there's no idols. Make sure there's nothing in me, God, that is wrong and cast it out. And that's what he did. And he cast it out, cleansed these whole towns and these cities. And this morning we got this opportunity. Let me say this to you. Before, I'll just mention what Asa did. He built walls, towers, gates, and bars. Let me just quickly go through these things before I, I finish. The first one, wars. When you look at Nehemiah's life, you know that he was a man of prayer, Nehemiah. Before he went to the king and asked him for a favor, what he did was fasted and prayed. And the Bible says he prayed this way. It's, it's in chapter 1. You look at it at your own time. In chapter 1, first thing he does, he starts praying. He praises the Lord, petitions the Lord. He does his confession. He reminds God. And then he has his humility. And it's just this great prayer. If you're going to pray, pray that way. Praise the Lord. We thank you, Lord. You are awesome. We praise you. We thank you that you are the God of God, the King of Kings. That's how you praise him. And then he petitions him and says, Lord, you know what's happening in my life. This is what's happening. You know, uh, he's talking about Jerusalem. The walls are down. What are you talking about? Say, Lord, you know my life. You know my weakness. I'm honest with you. I'm telling you exactly what it's like. And so there's this petition with God. And I need breakthrough. I need a breakthrough. That's the confession part of it, right? And then there's this, I told, a couple of weeks ago, I told you about reminding God of his promises. He reminds God. And I don't know why, but God loves to be reminded. It's not as if he forgets, right? But he just loves to be reminded. So Nehemiah reminds God of his faithfulness to his people. You need to remind God of his promises. God, this is what's happening in my life. I praise you. This is what's happening in my life. But can I remind you that you say in your word and in your promises that you will do this, this, and that. And it's great because God kind of sits there and goes, did I say that? Sends one of his angels says, mate, can you go and find out what part of chapter and scripture that I actually said that? One of the angels walks along, gets the big book out. Yes, you said it in uh, Isaiah 24, verse 13. He says, well, Louis claiming it. Louis saying that I should be doing that for him. What should I do? I said, look, God, the angel would say to God, you're not a man that you should lie. You actually have to give Louis his request. Thank you very much. Because that's what he did for Nehemiah. And when you read your Bible, that's what he does for all of them. All people who claim and just remind God of his promises. When you pray, remind God of his promises to you. There's, we said 8,880, 8,180 8, promises. Just keep reminding him. Don't give up. Keep reminding him. We give up too easy. We remind God and then we go, oh, well, he's not answering. Man, persevere. Persevere in the promise. He cannot lie. Impossible. How much do you want it? Anyway, so one of those things around your walls, the greater your prayer life, the thicker the wall. The greater the prayer life, the thicker the wall. 
If your prayer life is flimsy, five minutes a day, I can tell you what, you can, you can expect that water crumble just like that. You praying consistently and like, I mean time in God and in His presence and talk about the things that are going on in your life and my life and we seek in God and I'm telling you, the greater the prayer life, the thicker the war. It's like Satan tries to get through that war. He has to get through these, like, this prayer network, right? It's a prayer like web. He's like, oh man, I can't even go near this guy. You know and I know when you're in prayer, say you're in prayer for an hour, when you get up out of that prayer time, I'm telling you, there's an anointing, there's a power, there's a covering, there's a, there's a glory on you. Jesus spent it. Jesus goes to a mountain, starts to pray, comes down from the mountain. Moses is the same, came down from the mountain transfigured. They looked at him and said, man, why prayer? Do you think Satan would have come anywhere near Jesus when he saw him transfigured like that? Do you think Satan comes anywhere near you when you're full of prayer and praise and worship? He can't. What he does, he waits because some unknown reason, I don't know in the spiritual realm, that he can see this aura. He can see this glory around you. I believe he can see it. And he knows where it's dimming. When you see... When your scripture talks about Moses, the, the presence of God was fading in his life. I reckon what happens is there is an, an enemy around you that looks at your life and starts to see the fade. And prayed for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, five minutes in here, three minutes in there. And all of a sudden, it's fading. It's fading. And all of a sudden, the walls that were like seven metres like the, that video says, seven, now become like one meter, 60 centimeters, 10 centimeters, and the enemy's right in your face. Hey, what about this? Bit of pleasure. Thanks very much. Gone. Gone. Because the prayer life is the war. The prayer life is what gives the Holy Spirit fuel. It's your prayer life that it interacts with the Holy Spirit. He prays through you and it, it, it gets him involved in your life. Your prayer life is what the Holy Spirit has for fuel. The Word of God's fuel for him. The prayer life's fuel. The war, the war, the war is full of prayer. Pray, 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 pray. Get that in you. If you don't get anything tonight, pray. pray. Oh, I just broke my glasses. Pray. Okay, quickly, let's go to the next one. So number two is towers and gates. Can I just say this? Towers and gates. These wars had towers and they had gates. Can I just say to you, right, the guy on the tower, they used to have a guy in the tower and he used to yell out, It's good, eh? Enemies coming from a distance. He'd see he was the lookout. Enemies come on, bolt the gates. They would get themselves ready. You and I, you know who you know who lives up on that tower? Your mind. Your mind is the guard at the table, at the tower. He's the one up there. Your mind is the one that's listening, watching, hearing. 
He's the one, your mind is the one that it will say to you, there's a thought coming. There's a bad thought coming. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's right, mate. Just open the gate, thanks. So in comes the thought, doubt, unbelief, hopelessness, all these thoughts that come into your mind, that, you're, that th- this mind is supposed to be so active and alert to those things. And he, the brain, it says to the, these thoughts that sometimes you get overwhelmed with, he's the one that says, hey, hey, no, don't let that one in. Shut that gate. Don't let that thought in. That thought is not from God. This is why it's so important about the renewing of the word of God. Because when your mind's renewed and you know the word of God, when the thought comes, you always grab the word of God and say, the guard up on the tower, he's got the Bible. He's going through the Bible and he knows. There's a Bible that says, could I possibly be saved? There's a thought coming in the gate, could I possibly be saved? The gatekeeper, should I open the gate? Well, hang on a sec, let me just check the word of God. Whoever confesses the name of Jesus shall be saved. He that believes in his heart will be saved. No. The Bible says you're saved. Thanks, man. I'll keep the gate shut. Closes the gate. Thanks for coming. Well, thanks for not coming. So there's this interaction between your brain and the Spirit of God. They're kind of supposed to be working together, right? Because they're supposed to tell you what you allow in this city. This city that I'm supposed to be protecting and watching over this city that's supposed to be empowering by God is not going to be nullified by my unbelief by the things of this world because the tower, my brain tells me and the word of God that's been renewed in my brain tells me that I will not let those things in. You cannot afford to let those things in your brain because you know and I know once you let those thoughts into your brain, you could go anywhere. You could go anywhere. And, and trying to grab those thoughts at a later time, you, you already, the enemy's so cunning in the way he's, not only is he cunning, but you've got this thing here called the flesh. That's telling you things as well. That flesh, it has desires. It wants things. And it's really close to you. And sometimes it's not even Satan trying to tempt you from the outside, but it's the flesh telling you this is what I desire because remember this flesh isn't going to inherit the kingdom of God. This is why you're going to get a new body. You're going to get a brand new body that can handle eternity, that will not perish. This body's perishing. It's dying every year. It doesn't matter how much exercise I do. It's not helping me. I looked in the mirror the other day and there's things starting to sag. And it doesn't matter how much you try to prop it up and it's like, it's just... That's the way it is, right? It's tainted with sin. Sin's living image can't inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. So see you later, buddy. Okay, so these towers and gates talking about number three, bars. It says war, it built walls, towers, gates, and bars. There are things that you and I need, like the bars, to close so severely. That's what the bars did. Not only was there a gate, but there was bars as well. 
Because there are things in your life and my life that you know and I know that we have weaknesses we should never open. Never open. If you know within your character, let's say drinking for example, if you know that if I start drinking, I will not stop until I'm completely blind drunk. That's a problem for you. I would never open that door ever. I would never ever have a drink if I know, especially if I look at my family's life and my brothers and my, my fathers and my fathers before that, if there were alcoholics and things like that in, in your life, mate, there's a weakness in that whole line. I would not even open that door. There are so many things that you and I know that we open and we should never open. We bolt them shut. We close them up. We say, see you later. There are thoughts about God. There are reasonings that I will never allow in my brain. Because when I do, I get into all kinds of trouble, especially when the things of God. Like, I'll give you an example. And if I give you an example, you're going to go there and I don't want you to go there. Like for me, it might not be an issue with you guys, but for me, God has no beginning and no end. Like I don't understand that. How does God not have a beginning? I mean, everybody has a beginning, right? Everything you and I do in life has a beginning and an end. I work, I begin work, and I finish work. I, I'm born and I die. There's always a beginning and an end. But God has no beginning and no end. In my brain, I'm thinking to myself, if I meditate upon that too much, it says, no, nah, it's rubbish. You see what's happening? Because it's, it's over my pay grade. <laughs> it's over my pay grade. I don't understand it. I can't reason it. I don't, I'm not going to meditate on it because what it's going to do for me is going to lead me to unbelief. We all have these there's sacred things that are, are God's and we don't fully understand it. But this is why the Bible says that we walk by faith. You know, I don't believe, I mean, not I don't believe, but I, sometimes I don't understand a lot of the things in the Bible and how God could just create out of nothing. I mean, how does God create out of nothing? I mean, I can create a shelf out of wood. But God can say, shelf be, shelf is. That'd be pretty awesome, eh? Saves me doing all that work and go to Bunnings. But you see what I'm saying is that you can, you can go down these things where you don't understand. This is where you've got to shut them and, and say, you know what, Lord? I just believe by faith. That's who you are. That's what your word says. I'm not going to try to reason how you, almighty God, can do something out of nothing. I'm not going to go there. So those things I don't touch. You shouldn't touch. You should just believe what the Bible says by faith. This is why the Bible talks about faith so much. We're justified by faith. Because, and God loves it. We heard it this morning. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those things please God. Why does it please God? Because you know what, Lord, I don't fully understand it. I'm only human, but I still trust you. I still believe in you. And so don't ever let them in. So let's get the musos up this morning. And so um, let's build these walls. Amen. Let's, let's go into our cities this morning as you stand up this morning. I want you to, they're gonna, the musos are going to play I want you, like last week, start to look at your life, look at the temple inside you, and look at some of the things that you have allowed inside this city. Inside your life, 
is it is it some kind of you know reasoning that you've or you, you don't understand about God and you've let it fester and you meditate on it and now it's taking you down a path of unbelief? Is there an idol in your life that you wish you could just pick up, throw it outside the city, and never visit it again? Is there a sin in your life that you think to yourself, you know what? This is the sin that so easily entangles me. I just want to rip it out. I want to throw it out and I want to start building walls around me, prayer, worship, the Word, my mind around that area and continually praying that God will keep me from it, that God's promise will be in my life, that will keep those idols out of my life, that sin out of my life. I trust, I believe in you and all of a sudden you start to build and build and build that war which seems to be so flimsy, so weak in those areas, all of a sudden now you're doing things the right way, the right mortar, the right bricks, the right thought patterns, the right worship, the right belief system. You're building, you're building, you're building and you're praying and you're building and the enemies from afar looking at that war and just like Nehemiah's day, he will try to challenge the war. But Nehemiah just kept building, kept building, kept building, kept building. 52 days, he built that whole war. 52 days. Don't, won't take long for you to become really strong in God, I'm telling you right now. Let's stand up this morning. And as the worship team is going to sing a song, I want you just to meditate. And if you need to confess something before God, to confess it, see yourself in your heart, picking it up, throwing it outside this temple and start to build it, confess it, repent of it, and then start allowing God from this day forth, from this moment, to start building those walls. Let's worship.